0: Have you ever been in a position where you're in the water and you feel like you're going to drown? I remember I went to a summer camp. They had a big lake. and They had a lot of water activities you could do on a lake and, and enjoy that kind of stuff. They had canoeing and all sorts of things. But I remember in order to be a part of those activities you had to do a swim test. How many of you have ever had to do a swim test? Okay, you've had to do that swim test. Well, I took swimming lessons when I was little, but I wasn't the best of swimmers, so I was nervous about taking the swim test. You had to tread water for a certain amount of time. Well, I remember I got in and they'd have you get in, like there's docks and there's steps, and so they'd have you get down into the water, and you'd start treading water. Well, I started doing that, but then I started getting pain in my leg my legs started to cramp up. And I remember I I started to struggle. This isn't very far in, by the way. (laughs) I started to struggle, and and I started to panic, and soon I reached out and I grabbed for the pier there. That feeling, not that I'd made, that I'd That I'd failed the swim test, but that feeling like, maybe I'm not going to make it. I remember the pain in my leg just trying to get up, though, that ladder back onto the dock. We're working through our series called A Rebellious Heart, talking about the book of Jonah. Jonah is attempting to flee God's presence. He's attempting to escape and get away from God. God commanded him to go to Nineveh. And Jonah immediately arose. That was good. But then he travels in the wrong direction. Jonah goes down to Joppa. He goes down into a ship. And they begin traveling to Tarshish, at least 2,500 miles away. Jonah is trying to get as far away imaginable from where God is sending him. That's about 3,000 miles. In the wrong direction. Sometime in the midst of their travels... On the water, God sends a storm. The storm begins to build and the wind and the waves begin to overcome the ship. I've been in a little ship on Lake Michigan, a little boat. That same feeling where the waves begin to come over the edge and my friend whose boat it was goes, yeah, we shouldn't be in here. This boat's too small for this lake. That feeling. They begin to take in water, and and the sailors begin to pray out to their gods. They discover Jonah in the bottom of the ship sleeping. They realize who it is. The the Bible tells us they cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah, and Jonah says, You remember I told you that I'm trying to escape from God? And they say, What is this you have done to us? Why did you do that, Jonah? So Jonah tells them they need to throw him overboard. So as far as the sailor's story is concerned, they throw him over. The wind and the waves die down. They fulfill their vows. And then I don't know if they know what happens after that. But the story doesn't end there. The story's not complete, although it could. There are lots of cliffhangers in this book where we could be left going, okay, I guess he drowned in, at sea. I don't know if Jonah tried to tread water as he was thrown over or If he just decided he was going to sink straight down. I, I don't know. Did Jonah have swimming lessons? Did they do him any good? I, I, I don't know, but Jonah finds the water just overpowering him, driving him down. I, I think there are times as we're reading through Scripture where God uses his creativity to surprise us. The things that we do not expect happen. The miracles. A burning bush that doesn't go out. A sea that is parted and the people can walk across on dry ground. A donkey who talks to the person riding him. A widow whose flour and oil supply does not run out until the rains return and the harvest comes. The earth stopping its rotation for part of a day. Those are the Old Testament miracles, just a sampling of them. Jesus turning water into wine, healing people, bringing people back from the dead. Miracles that we read, but can you imagine being a part of those and witnessing God's creativity in those miracles? Well, God decides to do one of those miracles in Jonah's life, and while we get to read it, Jonah got to experience it. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. There are many ways that God could have chosen to get Jonah from the point he was at back to the shore. He could have provided some driftwood that Jonah clung to and carried him back to shore. He could have miraculously spread the sea and Jonah could have walked back. But God decided to do something unique for Jonah, something that I don't think he's ever done again, something miraculous. He provides a great fish to swallow up Jonah. But if we hear that somebody's swallowed by a fish, we expect that they probably died, right? Right? If you hear, well, Steve was eaten by a crocodile, you wouldn't assume that the crocodile is going to spit him out a few days later, right? And so we, don't, we aren't told that here until the end, but it tells us Joni was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah begins to understand the complexity, the depth of what God is calling him to here, that it's not possible for him to run away. And then Jonah's prayer, as we read through this from verse 1 through verse 9, Jonah's prayer is in a little bit different context. It's being written in a poetry form. It's in a song. So you think of the Psalms. This is Jonah's psalm that he writes. So it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying these words that are his song. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again, or I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were trapped about my head. At the roots of the mountain I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He's giving this picture of death. Yet Verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Being that this section is written in poetry, it needs to be treated a little bit different than the rest of the book. The rest of the book is in a narrative, matter-of-fact kind of way, And Jonah's psalm has a lot of imagery showing that he knows about the book of Psalms. He's read David's psalms. He's memorized them. Some of this is quoted, but he also uses a lot of metaphors. But this doesn't make his experience any less real. It doesn't make it any less true. This is true. Jonah was in a terrifying position, but rather than read this part in a completely literal way, we need to take this as Jonah communicating his feelings, Jonah communicating his experiences through images. trying to communicate the depth of what he felt through these images of language of songs. Because there are times that songs speak deeper to us than it would if we just said, yep, and I said this to God and that was the end of it. And so Jonah chooses to communicate this through a song. There's also a measure of this that it's from a chaotic structure. So the beginning of it echoes the end of it. So if you look at the A, B, C, and the X, they're all kind of leading to and away from Jonah's low point. The Lord sends a fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah begins to pray verse 17 in chapter 2, verse 1. The end, you see the Lord commands the fish to vomit Jonah out. So there's these reactions to what is happening to Jonah. B, Jonah calls out to God in distress from Sheol. The other end, B, Jonah calls out to God in rejoicing from his temple. C, Jonah descends down into the sea and closer to death. C, God pulls Jonah up from the pit. And then Jonah is at his lowest point verses 5 and 6 and so the way this is written in poetry or song form it's a response that the first three sections are, or the last three sections are a response to the first three sections Jonah begins in his life to take steps in the right direction he's still not there I'm not going to leave you hanging here, but just so you know, we get to the end of the book and we're still not sure if Jonah's made it there yet. But Jonah is beginning to take these steps in his spiritual walk, but there's a big idea that kind of is overarching in the whole book of Jonah, and it is this, God's discipline is saturated with mercy. God's discipline is saturated with His mercy. His mercy, His grace runs all throughout. Mercy is God withholding the things that we do deserve. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. God's discipline is saturated with him withholding the things, the judgment that we do deserve. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago this verse from Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. It says, And he, Jonah, prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. That picture uh, that God gave to Moses, he's echoing that. Jonah knew the Old Testament texts. He'd memorized them, but yet, Jonah did not have a heart relationship with God. When times turned rough, when there was something difficult asked of him, he ran away. He got out of dodge. He tried to escape. So what do we see as far as God's mercy being shown in discipline? First, God's discipline is for the purpose of restoration. God's discipline is for restoration. Jonah comes to a point of recognizing who God is in the depths of the sea. It took Jonah, getting to his lowest point, to turn around. From a heart perspective, You see, Jonah had proclaimed back in Jonah 1, verse 9, he said, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That was a knowledge thing. He feared him from a knowledge standpoint. I know who God is. I know the miracles he's done. But his heart wasn't there. His heart wasn't serving God. So it took this trial, this step in Jonah's walk for him to get to a point where his heart begins to turn. God is disciplining for restoration. There's this term in verse 17, you see it there, and the Lord appointed a large fish. It's used several times in the book of Jonah. God appoints this large fish to swallow Jonah. We don't know what this large fish was. When we teach this story to kids, many times it's Jonah and the whale, right? Because that's a large fish that we can think of. But there are other large fish that are large enough to swallow a person, Maybe this was a specially created fish that was only created once by God to swallow Jonah. We don't know. But the Lord appointed this fish. God said, your job, fish, is to swallow this man. And listen to this. The fish obeyed, but the prophet did not. And yet the fish was going to have indigestion problems (laughs) because he had to swallow the prophet. You see the irony there? The sailors recognize what they need to do. The fish recognize what he needs to or she needs to do. I don't know if it was a he or she fish. But Jonah, the prophet finds himself trying to escape disobeying God God chooses to discipline those he loves in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 it says this for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives God disciplines because he loves and in Jonah's case, it wasn't just because he loved Jonah. It was because God loves people. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loves the sailors on the ship. God loves the Ninevites. Even though they're vile and wicked people, God loves them. And so, because of Jonah's disobedience, God is working in all of those situations, but he's doing it out of love, through mercy. Jonah had to come to his ultimate rock bottom, his own personal hell, to turn his life around. To get to the point where he decides to do what God has asked him to do. Jonah describes it as a grave, as a burial point, as a death, as the pit, the deep, the flood, the waves. He's being driven away. There's seaweed wrapped around his throat. But God doesn't leave Jonah there there's hope that God is going to restore him. The second point, how God's mercy abounds in discipline, despite our pride, God still answers our prayer. Despite our pride, God still answers our prayer. I don't know exactly the timing of all of this. I read one commentary this week that he thought that Jonah had died and God brought him back to life. That is not how I read this. Um, I think it took Jonah three days and three nights in his stubbornness to get to the point of praying. Because I think all of this was a pride I think Jonah in the belly of the whale three days and three nights in a stinky, smelly, slimy, cold, uncomfortable position was what it took for him to turn around. This is the first time we read of Jonah praying. The sailors had called out just like God had called out to Jonah. The sailors called out and said, pray to your God. We're never told that he prayed there. He said, this is what I did. You should cast me over. Here is where Jonah prays. And it says that he called out to the Lord. That calling out that we keep hearing echoed in the book of Jonah Jonah had a pride that he knew what was best for his own life, for the life of the Ninevites, and Jonah prays. But you notice Jonah never says in the prayer, forgive me for what I've done. Here's my situation. I was drowning and God chose to save me. This Prayer is not really a prayer of repentance, but more a prayer of thanksgiving that what if God had chosen to do in the midst of this situation? Jonah basically is stating that he's going to fulfill his prophetic responsibility. But as we will see in the next couple of weeks, Jonah is still reluctant. In the book of Psalms, we read this, Psalm chapter 86, verse 7. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. What is Jonah doing? In the day of his trouble, he's calling upon God, and God chooses to answer despite Jonah's pridefulness. J. A. Matier said this: In his faithfulness and graciousness towards us, Yahweh comes with us into the consequences of our choices in order to save us. There, that doesn't remove that doesn't mean that all of our consequences will be removed. Doesn't mean he's going to take away the consequences of our actions, but it does mean that he comes with us into those consequences to work on our lives, to continue to work in our sanctification. Jonah still has a long way to go, I think, both in his heart and geographically. He still has a trip to do. He still has steps he needs to take. But when we pray... Our prayer is not to change God's heart, but it's to align our hearts with his. And I think this is Jonah's step in that direction saying, okay God, I understand your heart and you're telling me I need to go to Nineveh, so my heart needs to align with that. I need to start taking these steps. The third point Our pride causes skewed perspectives. Pride is a fixation on our own attitude and agenda. Pride is the fixation on I or me. It's all about myself. I read through this text several times this week. And it always amazes me how many times the word I, me, or my is in the text. It's over 25 times. I think it is 25 times in the text. What is Jonah focused on? I, me, me, my. There's a pridefulness that Jonah is all completely focused on himself. Jonah has an orbiting problem. Jonah thinks the world revolves around him or that God needs to serve him. But he's mistaken. You see, pride says, I know what's best for me. I know what's best for everyone else. I'm going to do this my way. I'm the ruler over my life. What's the problem there We're putting ourselves in the place of God. That's what pride does in our lives. You see, Jonah's perspective is completely skewed. It's not about Jonah at all. all. It's about God and his story. This book is about God and his story. He chooses to use characters for his purpose, for his will, in his story. And yet we think so often that it's all about us, and we say, that's not fair. I want what I deserve. I don't want that. And then pride manifests itself, just like in Jonah's case, in disobedience. I say, I know what's best for me. How many times have I thought those thoughts this last week or this last month or this last year? I know what's best for me. I know what's best for other people. I'm going to do this my way. What do we hear from our culture? What's a resounding phrase we've been hearing lately? It's my body. It's my choice. What does that statement come out of? Pride. Pride that I think, we think, we know what's best. That we are placing ourselves in the place of God. People don't understand that, like Jonah, life doesn't revolve around them and their choices Life, we, creation was created to bring glory to God, not to bring glory to me. We were designed to focus on God, to worship Him forever, but sinfulness skewed that. Pride skewed that. What was the original sin? It was pride, wanting to be like God. If you eat this fruit, you will be like him, knowing good from evil. That was the promise. What did it get us? It got us sinfulness. Putting ourselves in the place of God. You see, sinfulness skews our focus and causes us to worship the created rather than the creator. Worshiping ourselves most of the time rather than worshiping God. But there's good news. God's mercy provides hope. Everybody say that with me this morning. Hope. Hope. God's mercy provides hope. There's good news. We're not left in the depth of our sinfulness drowning in all of the wickedness that we have done. There is hope because God is merciful. I don't know if Jonah thought he had died. We put these pictures up sometimes of Jonah in the fish with a nice table and a lantern with a pen writing down this song he's writing. I don't think that was the case. I don't think God also provided a table for Jonah to write on or a pen or paper or anything like that. It's very dark. It's slimy. It's cold. It's mushy. It's stinky, it's smelly, it's wet. Jonah's surviving in this fish. I don't think there'd be much light. But God, in his mercy, chooses to penetrate our pride. God's mercy eliminates our eternal separation. The darkness we find ourselves in, God is merciful. He not only pours out mercy, but he pours out grace so much more than we do deserve. God's discipline on Jonah is restrained in order to correct Jonah not to destroy him. God could have left Jonah at rock bottom. God could have left Jonah under the sea, drowning, but God Loved him too much. God loves us too much to leave us in our sinfulness. He loves us too much for that. And rather than leaving us, he offers mercy. The God who rescued Jonah is the same God who rescues us. God displays his mercy to Jonah, and yet he displays greater mercy to us. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous. Christ was righteous. He was perfect. He was without sin. He was holy for the unrighteous, for all of those with sinfulness, wickedness, evil if we have a choice between wickedness and righteousness most of the time we're going to choose the wickedness god died for those people that he might bring us to god being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit what did we do in all of this we were wicked that's what we did what did christ do in all of this Christ the righteous suffered once for sins so that we would be made alive in the Spirit. How undeserving we are of His great grace and mercy. But that isn't the point. He is merciful despite our wickedness. Our stories are similar to Jonah's stories. All of us are on a path of rebellion, a path of sinfulness, yet God descends into the depths of our sinfulness, humbling himself, leaving his glory in order that he might lift us up out of the pit of despair. We're given a new hope because of his great mercy. Paul writes this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. God is the Savior of those who believe. We have our hope set on something much greater, much bigger much better because we have our hope set on a living God. God's mercy is constantly waiting for us to respond to him. Do you notice the end of his song where Jonah finds himself? Salvation belongs to the Lord. He'd said, I, me, my, all of those things. He recognized there was nothing he could do. There was no way for him to save himself. Maybe he struggled, he was doggy paddling, he was kicking as hard as he could. He could not save himself. Salvation belongs to the Lord. J. Vernon McGee wrote wrote this in his commentary. Salvation is God's work for us. Salvation is never man's work for God. Our salvation is not dependent on us. Our, dependent, our, our salvation is dependent on God and the work that he has already done through Jesus Christ on the cross, paying for our sins. God's mercy is waiting for me to respond. What is our duty? What are we called to do? We're called to cry out in mercy. Like Jonah cried out, In mercy. Would you pray with me? Father. God, we recognize there are times in our lives when we're not listening to you. We're not obeying the things that you've called us to obey. God, I don't. We don't desire to be driven to that rock-bottom point, but at times, it's required of us to get there, to turn around. God, you recognize what's best for us in our lives. You know what it's going to take. God, in those moments... We ask even in the hard times that you do the things in our lives that will drive us closer to you. God, for Jonah, that was a whale, literally, that needed to drive him closer to you. But for each of us, you work in our lives in personal and unique ways. God, Choose the way that works in our life the best to draw us closer to you day after day so that we surrender our lives to you so that it's not about the I, me, and my, but it's about the he, him, and your because you are worthy of all of our honor and glory and praise. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.